everything I emphasize with my students is written with a purpose. And everything that is written, you can dissect. You can examine what content is being included, what content is being left out. What is the language like? Not just what register is the language. Is it academic? Is it more informal? But also, is there heavy connotation in words? Is there very charged language? What language um, in particular? Is it mostly positive? Is it mostly negative? And looking through all of that to determine, okay, so what is the author's purpose here? And who is the writer writing to? So um, I think it's really important for the students to take away the fact that all types of writing need to be critically analyzed, read critically. It's not just because you're reading a Mm -mm. That was one of our (laughs) listeners, Nicole Brun Mercer, who we met at TESOL in Portland just a month ago. Or maybe I should say already a month ago oh my gosh it's insane how time flies yeah it was so great connecting with nicole and i Mm. absolutely agree with her all types of writing need to be analyzed and every piece of text needs to be read critically nay every piece of media Mm. needs to be examined critically right yeah and that's the premise of this episode and of our previous episode media literacy 101 so today let's continue our exploration of this topic Welcome to Media Literacy 102. Hello and welcome to the Teacher Think Aloud podcast, a podcast for reflective practice for teachers of English around the world. I'm your co-host, Anna. And I'm Shay. And as we mentioned, today's topic is a continuation of our conversation about media literacy. I really loved our first conversation, and I'm happy that we're going down this rabbit hole again, because it is a rabbit hole. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is. It's like an infinite rabbit hole that a lot of people fall down into. (laughs) Actually, maybe a black hole is a better description. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) whatever we call it. The point mm-hmm. is that there's a lot to explore when it comes to media literacy. And even after two episodes, there are bound to be gaps remaining. Mm-hmm. For our listeners who missed the first class, I mean, episode, <laughs> Media Lit 101, Anna, let's do a quick recap. Okay. So in the first episode, you know, we covered the question of what is media literacy? Why do we need to incorporate media literacy into our practice as educators? And more specifically, in the English language classroom, where communication is at the center of everything. It's just of utmost importance Mm. that we get our students to build these media literacy skills. And since then, we've had a lot of great contributions from our listeners on this topic. Mm. Yulia shared on Twitter that she introduces the idea of bias and agenda to her students, specifically through analyzing and comparing news sources. And Nicole, who we heard from at the start of the episode, shared with us that she likes to have students examine different articles on the same topic and compare language, connotation, among other textual elements. Fantastic. I love the level of specificity in analysis there. Lilith on Facebook shared that she likes to teach her students to look at clickbait and from there have them explore the web and see what they notice in terms of language use and visual inclusions. Awesome. 
And this could be an analysis of content that news outlets put out or articles mm-hmm. or just images or even an analysis of social media posts. Mm. Examine what was highlighted and try to understand the rationale behind the selection, right? Yeah. Thanks to all of our listeners who joined the conversation. Yeah. I love this collective reflection. Mm-hmm. And I think this participation goes to show you just how crucial the teaching of media literacy is just all over the world. Yeah. And speaking of reflections, Shay, I've got one. Well, I think our ideas about media literacy have gotten more focused since we started reflecting on media literacy together. Raising these questions, having these conversations, I think we've been able to carve Mm -hmm. out a pretty clear framework for ourselves around this topic. Mm -hmm. Start with self, the bias you find within yourself. Then move on to bias in the media. What does that Mm -hmm. look like, right? And then Mm. that third component that we really haven't touched on is all of these scary key terms like misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. And actually, at this point, I want to pause and shout out the News Literacy Project, because a lot of my understanding of this topic has come from attending webinars and using materials from this great nonprofit dedicated to promoting news literacy education across the United States. Mm. We'll link the News Literacy Project in our show notes. Mm So anyway, reflecting Mm. on this led us to realize, okay, this is the missing puzzle piece, sort of phase three in the process of orienting ourselves to media literacy. Yeah. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to our previous episode listeners, we invite you to pause this episode, go back to episode 39, Media Literacy 101, where you'll find what we think are the foundational ideas for discussing this topic. Mm Because we're moving on from personal bias and examining bias in the news to getting into sort of more specifics, right? Yeah. So let's start with the terms misinformation and disinformation. These are two words we've probably all heard a lot about because it's just been so pervasive. So what are they? Totally. The term fake news is everywhere. It's so politically Mm -hmm. charged. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's not our preferred term for discussing these ideas, but it is related to these concepts of misinformation and disinformation in that there's some sort of false information involved in both of these concepts. Yeah. But misinformation, the big key difference here is that misinformation is not necessarily intentional and disinformation is intentional. Right. Disinformation is created and disseminated to manipulate, Mm -hmm. whereas misinformation is kind of just a misrepresentation of something, Mm -hmm. which is also very problematic, right? right? But so commonplace, Mm -hmm. too. We all kind of participate in it, honestly. Have you ever just clicked share on something that you saw? Right, you're maybe not intentionally trying to mislead someone, but you know, sometimes you click and share and you haven't done your due diligence and you mm. may be sharing something that isn't correct. Yeah, maybe you haven't taken the time to do a crap test, Anna. <laughs> All right, so tell us about the crap test, Shay, which turns out isn't crappy. <laughs> not not at all, <laughs> not at all. So, you know, we talk a lot about misinformation, disinformation, and we know it exists, and we warn our students that they exist. But we need to be able to make sure we're giving them strategies or tools that they can use to actually identify misinformation and disinformation, and also differentiate between the two. So the CRAP test Mm -hmm. is a tool to apply whenever we're looking at a source of information and trying to determine its reliability. 
CRAAP, spelled C-R-A-A-P, stands for currency, relevance, accuracy, authority, and purpose. Nice. I love acronyms. Easy to Mm, remember, easy to teach. So can you break it down a bit more for us? Yeah. So currency, as in the timeliness of the information. Mm. Relevance is the importance of the information for your needs. Mm. Authority is, you know, who's the source of the information and essentially what authority does that individual or that organization have to share whatever it is that they're sharing. Accuracy is the reliability, the truthfulness, and the correctness of the content. Mm. And then lastly, purpose For what reason does this information exist? I also wanted to make a point about authority here. Little Mm. sidebar. Authority's a little bit slippery and hard to grasp because if we don't have a strong understanding of a field that we're consuming media about, and especially when we're talking about social media, Mm -hmm. we as human beings just kind of have a tendency to gravitate towards believing perceived authority, perceived expertise rather than Mm. actual authority and actual expertise. So if if someone talks louder than another person, we might believe them more. Mm -hmm. And so that's also something to be aware of is like, actually look into what this person's credentials are and what their motives are and not just kind of trust them for some superficial reason that could trick us into believing that they have authority. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. It's not always the loudest person in the room who has the most knowledge, Uh right? Mm -hmm. It's often the opposite, if I can say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but anyway, I love the crap test. (laughs) Yeah, and I think everyone can kind of see that utility right away. Now, Anna, you and I think about using this in an academic setting, right? We ask students to refer to this criteria when looking for sources in research, but this is something that people could pull out and use to evaluate what they're seeing on their own social media feeds, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think a big part of developing these media literacy skills is having the tools we need mm-hmm. to be smart about what media we consume, right? Yeah. And there are a lot of organizations that provide excellent tools, Mm -hmm. right, Anna? Like the News Literacy Project you're always raving about. And also my go-to, Project Look Sharp, both of which support teachers in teaching media literacy skills to their students. Actually, Project Look Sharp put out several iterations of a chart that students or whoever, your mom, your grandma, can use (laughs) that has guiding questions to answer for each of these areas included in the CRAP acronym. It's super user-friendly, something I've used with my students for years. Linked! (laughs) Yes, we're sharing all the goodies today. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And so actually, Shay, I think the CRAP test is a really great way to approach debunking in general. It's a good starting Mm -hmm. point. And there are also a bunch of debunking sites out there like Snopes, PolitiFact, FactCheck.org, and many others that will explain why a news item was debunked or disproven. Mm. And so I recommend having learners look at debunk sites as a way to jumpstart their critical thinking about the news. And you mentioned a few U.S.-focused debunk sites already, Mm -hmm. but there are just so many of them out there. You can just Google debunk sites or Mm -hmm. tools, right? There are loads of 
of them, really. Yeah. Anything that shows here's what's facts and here's what's fiction and then reasons why or why not to trust something. Mm-hmm. I think that could be a really great way, actually, to do a comparison. Like, here's your crap test. Here's what the debunk website says in comparison. And turn that into an exercise of, you know, here's your answer key. The debunk site is your answer key. What is it that you didn't think of when you did the crap test? That's a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. I I like that you're adding an extra layer of analysis there, asking learners to even be critical of the tools and processes that are presented to them by their teachers, right? Don't just assume that the debunk site does everything for you. Use your crap checklist mm-hmm. too. Determining the extent to which something is actually credible can be really challenging. But I mean, even with the crap test, it really Mm -hmm. is hard because sometimes the information isn't there for you, right? Like thinking about like, where does this information come from? Not everything that is published online is easy to track in terms of its origin. People don't always put the author's name or the dates of publication. Right. So like even really seemingly straightforward questions like that are not always so easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lack of date or other information might be a sign that the source isn't trustworthy. Mm-hmm. But even so, there's just a flood of information online. So it's really hard to know which source to believe. And it's really hard to track down everything. You know, yeah. like one example that has come up a lot is there will be an image that is not even representing the event that's been described. Sounds sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for example, someone will say such and such thing happened. Here's the photo proof. But the photo is from a completely different context of different people in a different part of the world. Um, So the example that always comes to mind for me, remember in the early pandemic days in 2020, there was a series of social media posts about how people staying home and not traveling was helping the environment and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So for example, there was this tweet with uh, videos of dolphins in a canal. Very cute. And the Mm -hmm. claim was Mm -hmm. that dolphins had returned to venice oh (laughs) but (laughs) but the thing is the videos were taken in a completely different place in a port in sicily Mm. and it went viral so i mean that was an innocuous example cute even but there are so many ways that we can be manipulated just by unsuspectingly believe believing the images we see online Mm-hmm. So if you're on social media and you're scrolling and you're just like, oh, wow, this is a shocking photo. It takes more than that split second to be like, oh, this is a fake image. Uh-huh. And there are ways to kind of identify that. But it takes a bit more digging in a lot of cases. Right, right. right. Yeah. I think the easiest path is probably doing a reverse Google Images search. Yeah. Just by uploading the image to Google and getting information about where the image came from. Mm-hmm. That's a really useful way to address that. And it's easy to teach our students how to do that. Mm-hmm. And inaccurate attributions aren't the only kinds of fakes we come across nowadays, mm. right? There are also fake people, fake accounts mm. created for a lot of different problematic reasons. Another issue we need to look out for on social media are trolls and bots created to generate influence, stimulate a reaction to something. Yeah, that's right. So mm-hmm. a quick distinction here. A troll yeah, yeah. A troll is a person, a real person online who comments on things and makes posts that are controversial or meant to disturb the 
piece, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm, whereas mm-hmm. a bot is an actual software program, a form of artificial intelligence that does the same work as a troll, but doesn't require the work of an actual human. So mm-hmm. both have malicious intent and are really dangerous for the sake of reliable news. And both have been employed and will continue to be employed worldwide to sway public opinion. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, I remember hearing, you know, recently about how the Chinese government had used bots and trolls on WeChat to play down news of the COVID protests that happened yeah. in December 2022, simply by creating a diversion, random mm-hmm. other news that would distract from the public uprising. Uh, right. That tactic is called flooding, right? Yeah. 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 And so to clarify, this happens All around the world, everyone has to contend with trolls and bots. Yeah, we see plenty of them in the U.S. (laughs) Yeah, There's there's a great resource I use with students called spotthetroll.org. And it's essentially a quiz where you're presented with posts from Twitter or Facebook or elsewhere. And you have to try to discern whether the content was created by an actual user or some kind of troll or bot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super tricky and really enlightening, Mm -hmm. right? Actually... All of this talk of how different entities have used trolls and bots to predatory ends reminds me of another phenomenon we listed earlier, propaganda. Now, I know a lot of people think about authoritarianism when they think about that word propaganda, like Big Brother Mm. comes to mind, Mm. right? But it's not even just an authoritarian issue. Right. There's misinformation and disinformation, which we already addressed But advertising is a form of propaganda, too, for commercial gains. Mm -hmm. Actually, let's try to distinguish between advertising and propaganda, Mm -hmm. can we? I mean, is that possible? Yeah, well, the line is pretty fine, right? (laughs) Anna, when we're thinking of what propaganda is, it's just really like information being shared, but to convince us of something, Mm -hmm. like it has an agenda. Would you say that's true? Usually there's an audience in mind, a specific demographic in mind, yes. right? Yes. And there, mm-hmm. there's some kind of entity that has like some kind of mission or goal that they're trying to achieve. Uh-huh. So whether it's commercial gain or yeah, political influence, whatever it may be. So here's another framework to help students determine whether something is propaganda. Another one. <laughs> yes. This is the resource episode, everyone. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, but the framework is SEED, S-E-E-D, which you can find on disinformation-nation.org. It was created by the Freedom Forum Institute, and there's this really great video you can show your students where it talks about the acronym SEED. Another useful acronym. Anna, remind me what SEED stands for. Mm -hmm. I've been flooded with acronyms lately. Yeah. (laughs) Simplification, exploitation, exaggeration, and division. Mm. And actually, you can kind of just add this to your crap test while you're at it, Mm. right? Since it's important not only to consider the credibility, reliability of a source, but whether it's actually a form of propaganda. Yeah, yeah. So just to briefly explain, these are the main Mm -hmm. tools of propaganda. So simplifying a concept and distilling it into something that is just overly simplistic doesn't capture Mm. the complexities of it. Mm-hmm. exploitation that means exploiting our emotions mm-hmm. i feel like that one's super common 
like advertisements are always trying to pull on my heartstrings, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. Like animals in cages or, you know, that famous ad in the U.S. for the ASPCA, the animal shelter. You remember, mm-hmm. Shay, with the sad looking animals? Sarah and McLaughlin. Sarah McLaughlin. Yes. Yeah. Singing, yeah. singing in the background. <laughs> yes, yes. So if that doesn't get you to adopt a pet, I don't know what will. Uh, what a classic <laughs> example of exploitation. We'll link that in the show notes too for our non-US listeners who might be curious about how emotionally charged this ad is. Yeah. yeah. And beyond emotional exploitation, there is exaggeration. Mm-hmm. So for example, thwarting numbers to make them look mm-hmm. bigger by collapsing different categories together. Yeah. And lastly, we have division, us versus mm-hmm. them. This one is particularly prevalent in the U.S. at the moment and in other countries as well. We are certainly a politically polarized country. So it's Mm. super common to see this us versus them mentality employed as a tool to influence people. Yep. So that's seed. Uh And you can use this framework for analyzing anything from an image to specific language. I always like to look at magazine covers and ask students to think of if there are any of these common propaganda techniques being employed. Yeah. But Anna, I have a a bit of a philosophical question related to propaganda. You ready? Shoot. Okay. (laughs) So for something to be considered propaganda, right, there's supposed to be Mm. some agenda that aims to influence people. The first Mm. letter in this acronym SEED is for simplification. And I think Mm -hmm. in a way, it can be problematic because people could argue, oh, well, that's not propaganda. Like, we're just trying to make this information accessible for the masses. Mm -hmm. So how can we decipher between them? You know, simplification for the sake of educating a group that may be unfamiliar with the topic and oversimplification for the point of an agenda for pushing it. This is a great philosophical question, Shay, because <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's easy for me to think like I follow a bunch of accounts on mm-hmm. Instagram and Facebook that explain uh, social justice issues, for example, in very simple terms to get the message mm-hmm. across. And with my bias, I'm like, that's great that they're getting this information yeah, out. Yeah, totally. Infographics <laughs> have become a huge source of information for people. Yeah. yeah, but I think you're right that there definitely is a propaganda side to it. So just something to keep in mind. Is our podcast propaganda? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if we push a certain opinion on our listeners, Well, we kind of are in this episode, right? The importance Uh of teaching uh media literacy. But I suppose it's about our intention. We're trying to make the up-and-coming generations more astute consumers of media, and that's not bad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you raised the question, though, Shay, because I've had this come up in workshops before, because everyone was like, well, then everything Mm -hmm. in propaganda, or at least, you know, in my view, propaganda tactics are used in so many ways, whether or not something counts as pure Mm -hmm. propaganda or not. Yeah, and it's easy to see how advertisers or politicians target consumers or voters. Mm -hmm. To demonstrate this, I like to have students act as marketing executives and have them create advertisements aimed at a specific demographic. Yes, 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 I love this. You've heard of it before, for for sure. Mm -hmm. So I usually use a set of, you know, those sort of whiteboard dice, those write-in dice, where you could write what Mm -hmm. would appear on each face of the, the die. And on each side, I include different demographic characteristics like 
income, age, urban, suburban, rural dwellers, etc. And I have the mm. students roll dice to come up with their target audience for an advertisement. I'm sure your students came up with some interesting uh-huh. combinations. Yeah, like a 40-year-old man who likes sports and lives in a huge city versus a 10-year-old girl living in rural Kansas. And these are all stereotypes, of course. Of course. But marketing executives rely on stereotypes to create marketing personas that they're targeting, right? So from there, the students work in groups and come up with ways to speak to those different demographics, noticing how their strategies would differ between those two, for example. And so, of course, we start by looking at different advertisements together, trying to discern who marketers might have been targeting and strategies they use to do so, like language choice, design, and more. Mm-hmm. I remember you telling me how excited students were about taking yeah. on that role. And and being the marketer really allows them to see how these strategies of influence can be employed and how advertisements have power over us that we might not even yeah. notice. We don't even realize the subliminal influence advertising has on us. Mm-hmm. And the same mm-hmm. goes for social media more generally, right? We are what we consume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we consume isn't the same on social media or otherwise. Like mm-hmm. thinking of social media specifically, companies have pretty much nailed down algorithms based on what we interact with on a regular basis and they spoon feed us content based on that there are some great ted talks that we've linked in the show notes listeners in case this is the first time you're hearing about this it's often referred to as a filter bubble Mm. and besides educating ourselves showing students these talks cultivating awareness around our social media feeds is a great place to start I've asked my students to open their social media before and note whether they follow a lot of similar types of accounts, whether mm-hmm. what they see tends to agree with their worldview if, or if they see a variety of different perspectives on there. Yeah. And what kind of impact does that have on how we interpret the news, the world around us? Mm-hmm. And from there, we can probably notice that we're getting targeted advertisements too, right? Mm-hmm. So social media might even be influencing what we're buying our friends for their birthdays. Crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And yet it's our reality. So Shay, the last thing I wanted to touch upon in this episode is conspiracy theories. Well, then I should probably say perceived reality. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A conspiracy theory is, and I'm quoting the Merriam-Webster dictionary, Mm -hmm. a theory that explains an event or set of circumstances as the result of a secret plot by usually powerful conspirators. Mm. Now, note here that there's no mention of false information. The theory could turn out to be true, and it's happened before, but the odds of a conspiracy theory actually panning out are pretty slim. Mm. What's a famous conspiracy theory you've heard of, Shay? (laughs) Uh, Flat Earth theory. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, yeah. The Earth is flat, didn't you know? Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Another one I always think of is the 1969 Apollo 11 moon landing was staged by the government. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Yeah, and, and what these conspiracy theories have in common is that in both cases, there's a belief that a powerful group of people usually the government, Mm -hmm. NASA in this case, Mm -hmm. is in cahoots to hide something or achieve some kind of shared goal. And the conspiracy theory is a person's attempt to tie together several ideas into some kind of pattern Mm -hmm. when actually there isn't one. Mm. Most of the facts of the case are completely disconnected or incidental. 
But there are indicators that these theories are unlikely. Mm-hmm. Number one, there usually isn't clear evidence. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's obvious. <laughs> yeah, that 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 one's obvious. There's uh-huh. no evidence. And a conspiracy theorist's argument might be simply, but you can't disprove that, can you? Uh-huh. Yeah, some flawed reasoning there. Yeah. Mm. But I think the part that's more interesting to me is that usually the theory is so complex that it would be nearly impossible to pull off. And mm-hmm. there are so many people involved that it would be hard to keep it a secret. Sure. Another indicator that a theory is a conspiracy is that the focus is on someone trying to control a nation, mm-hmm. a system, or even a, the whole world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting with what you're describing, it's really easy to fall prey to these beliefs and get wrapped up in a conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. But if we teach our students what makes a conspiracy theory and talk about some of the logical fallacies there, we can have them practice identifying conspiracies and evaluating any conspiracies they might have a tendency to believe in. Exactly. There's a really great video by a PBS program called Above the Noise that Mm. focuses on why people believe conspiracy theories. And and here's the important part, how to have a conversation with a conspiracy theorist. Uh, Nice. And come to think of it, Above the Noise has a whole playlist of videos with accessible language that focus on technology and the media. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Talking media literacy is a doozy. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say that wraps up our series on media literacy, but given our interests and, and it, its relevance and its relevance, I can't help but think we will touch upon this again in the future. Mm-hmm. So share with us your thoughts, listeners. What are you doing to ensure your students are more aware media consumers? What have we missed in these two episodes? Mm, a lot, I'm sure. A lot, <laughs> of course. So yeah. Much. yeah. Yeah. You can share with us in a comment on social media or email us at teacherthinkaloud at gmail.com. We welcome your reflections, questions, and ideas. And we actually just put a resource with our favorite media literacy activities on Teachers Pay Teachers. So be sure to check that out too. And don't forget to subscribe to stay with us on this reflective journey Mm. on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Really, any platform. Mm -hmm. We're everywhere. (laughs) So thanks so much for joining us on the Teacher Think Aloud podcast. And until next time, happy teaching and happy reflecting.